God and Savior, we pray for more love, more desire towards you, Lord, that we would not let it grow cold. Lord, do what we can by your mercy and the means of grace you've given us, God. Grow in sanctification, desire, and obedience to these things in your name alone. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. We do come before you, God, above this evening and come again, bring our hearts before you, Lord, acknowledging our need of you, humbled in your presence, God, and yet rejoicing in our hearts for the salvation and redemption in Christ Jesus and the many blessings you bestowed upon us, God, upon, Lord, the food and the housing, transportation, payments, Lord, peace and prosperity, our friends and our families. These things come from your hand. Pray, God, in light of that, for your, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, Africa, Middle East, China, and North Korea, persecution, the underground churches that exist there, Lord, in large measure, various degrees, God, be with them, we pray, over them, protect them, God, as you have promised in your word, especially their soul, Lord. We ask, God, that you'd raise up leaders they need, churches, pastors, especially, God, to feed them your word, and that you would turn aside those who hate them, as we read in Psalm 11, God, who Oh, in this case, in China and elsewhere, Lord, not so secretly, rise up to undermine the church and tear her down. So we pray, God, for her continued protection for, Lord, our brothers and sisters and their safety of their body and of their soul. God, that you continue to be with us in the various troubles that Christians get into, that is, with the governments and the like here in America, God, in which uh, we are being persecuted in another form, Lord, legally, although minor in some ways, but when you lose our job, God, it's pretty serious for people that you would be with them, the churches would be with them, that the churches would be wise to see the future and where things are going now, Lord, and to save up the funds and the material aid they need to help their members, Lord, when difficult times come upon them, perhaps upon more of the church in the future. We ask and pray, God, that we could not forget our brothers and sisters, that, Lord, we would pray for them uh, as they come upon our hearts throughout the week. We pray for the youth among us, Lord, children and young adults like God, and the infants such as the baby to come, with the rocks who are in China right now, God, that they would be protected in their pregnancy, that the children would grow up to love your word, to love the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, to love the church, that they would be instructed in their ABCs and their one, two, threes, Lord, and that the young adults would find godly spouses and find gainful employment, Lord, and persevere to know that they are part of the body of Christ. And certainly, Lord, we pray for our visitors that you continue to be with them and help them, especially those who are looking for a church, God. If we are not a fit, that they would find a godly church uh, that could be a good fit for them, Lord. Those who have returned, God, may we continue to love them and uh, pray for them. Think of particular Lord, the young man uh, who's been here a few times, God. His family's broken up through divorce, and he goes to public school. So, God, pray, be with him in special measure, Lord, that he would stand firm in the midst of all the difficulties that are there in his life. Precious Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit of truth, be with your church, be with this nation, God, to bring her re to repentance, that the local and states, uh, magistrates, and the laws that we have, God, would do the right thing in spite of whatever principles they espouse, God, that there be proper uh, providential pressure upon them, which is often, Lord, in the form of politics and power plays or whatever else, God. And in one sense, it doesn't matter for us as long as they do the right thing, that they protect uh, our churches, they would protect our members, Lord, protect citizens of our county and cities and our states, God, uh, but especially that they would stop wickedness, uh, Lord, and crimes and the like. These things would not go unpunished. God, we pray, therefore, also for the police and for uh, the attorneys and the like, God, that they would do the right thing and there would not be corruption in their ranks. We pray, Lord, for those in the medical field and the doctors and nurses, Lord, that they too would get the support that they need, that they would not be overwhelmed, that they would have, Lord, not uh, greedy masters over them, Lord, but a desire to help their fellow citizens. 
We pray, God, for those in the military, such as Simon and Tully, Lord, and others, God, that you would protect them, watch over them, help them, God, to stand firm. Again, in an institution that is more and more uh, against the founding of this nation, Lord, and therefore against often these men here in their own churches. So, Lord, be with them, we pray. Help them find good chaplains. Help, Lord, other Christians in those career fields, Lord, the police, the medical, and the military, God, to stand firm, uh, to be a witness in the dying world, to give them the strength they need to persevere, sometimes long and hard hours. Help us, we pray, God. Help your church. Uh, help the families here and the couples to persevere day by day this week, Lord, to know that you are with them in their vocations and calling in life. We pray for your mercies upon us, God, and open the word in our hearts this evening. In your name alone, we pray. We have the tithes and offerings. We praise you, God, and magnify your name. And may the tithes and offerings not be the only time in which we magnify your name, Lord, but continue to do so throughout the rest of our days. Bless these tithes and offerings. In your name alone, we pray. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him, the punishment of evildoers, the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Let us pray. These words, God Almighty, and may we stand firm in our Christian life and sanctification, uh, believing them and following them to the best of our ability, God. Help us in this day and age in which uh, this matter can be quite uh, contentious. America, Lord, uh, that we would have the reminder again and encouragement so that we are not wrong in following the magistrate, Lord, but nevertheless, we pray, God, that we would continue to have strength and wisdom before it as your church. In the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Mission is a fact of life, and it's not a popular thing in America. We are very independent, or at least that's our rhetoric, that's our movies, that's our books, that's our music. We all know at the end of the day, it's a relative liberty, a relative freedom. It's still in the context of submission. Everyone is under authority of one type or another. Children are under their parents. Wives are under their husbands. Men and women are under their bosses. And companies and cities are under their county and their state. No matter what country you're in, something like that is occurring, especially at the local and smaller level. Someone's in charge. Someone has power to make you do what you don't want to do. That's a nice thumbnail definition of power. Thought about that. And that's where submission is. To fight against it is not to submit to the powers over you. Submission varies in life from a respectful language, that is the expression of submission, the action of submission, uh, from respectful language, right? We all know this, especially when someone doesn't use respectful language to us. Then we realize, oh, that's part of submission as well, isn't it? We all remember being teenagers, I'm sure. To following the orders of drill sergeants. Some of us have been in the military. We remember those times and days. And we couldn't just say, well, you know, you're just a mean drill sergeant. How, can, how, how, how do you dare do this to me and tell me to do push-ups to fold my underwear a certain way, which they did. Micromanaged your life for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it was. God says submit. Submission is a hard thing to do. You cannot do certain things in some situations in our life because you're submitting to the powers that tell you not to do those certain things. And there are some things that you're called to do that you dislike. Again, you can think of your jobs. Or, you know, think of your poor wife. I don't, I don't think many women love cleaning toilets. I don't, I've done it. I've, I've been a janitor for a while. Clean men's toilets. <laughs> Thank you. But I had to do it. Or I had no job. Putting out the trash. Being silent. Finishing the paperwork. Never liked doing paperwork in the military. I had to sign things in triplicate. Back in the day when you actually signed things by hand on a piece of paper with a carbon 
paper behind it and all that, triplicates and quadruplicates. Uh, drive to a destination you're not interested in, all because you're under authority, because you are submitting. You may say, I'm doing it freely. And if you're mumbling on your path, obviously not very free. You know, I don't like this part of the job. If you're honest with yourself, you don't like this part of the job, or maybe most of the job, but you do it anyway, partly because of submission. I hope. God tells you you're supposed to submit in the Lord, that you do it for God's sake, simply for man's sake. And this is God's will for our lives. It is for our good, especially in an unbelieving society that is watching our every move. That's the context here, isn't it? They are watching us. We saw that in the prior verses where they're looking for ways to trip us up and lie about us, but they can't because we're so above board. I think I can use that idiom still today, right? Above board. You're, you're such a shining example that you're doing the right thing, even if you're getting punished for it. Submit to man's laws. Verse 13 is the first point. That sounds terrible when you put it that way. But, and yet we read here, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Ordinance is another way of saying command or law, that which is required, the way things are supposed to be. And that's obviously clear here, for he talks about of man for the Lord's sake, whether to king as the supreme or to governors or those sent by them, or the governor under the king. This is about civil authority, submitting the president, submitting to the Supreme Court, submitting to the governor, submitting to the mayor talking about here. He's talking to Christians spread about the dysphoria, as you know, uh, there through the Mediterranean area, area, and they are called examples to warning, in fact, although again gentle, as Peter is often in his book. People are watching us. We ought to submit. Prior verses in verse 11, as you recall, behold, I, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That's the broader category. Have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. He's going to unpack that in these verses uh, here in 13, 14, 15, and 16. It's being honorable among the Gentiles by submitting to Gentile leaders, unbelieving leaders, Roman or king. And then, of course, verse 18, submit to your masters, wives submit to their husbands, and the like. It starts with the general proposition that we are pilgrims in this world, pilgrims that should abstain the moral corruption of this world, not pilgrims in the sense of you don't have to submit to your husband, not pilgrims in the sense of you don't have to submit to the civil magistrate. And you see that highlighted there, right? Verse 16, as free, not using the liberty as a cloak for vice, as an excuse to sin and ignore the governor or the king. Hey, I'm under the new king, Jesus. You see how that all connects now? Verses, and so he's emphasizing, don't get the wrong idea of what it means to be a sojourner or a pilgrim. You still have to submit in this world be a pilgrim in a moral sense of not following the sinful ways of this world. War against the fleshly lusts, having having your conduct honorable because the world is watching you, and when they speak to you as evildoers, they've got nothing, no leg to stand on. It's just lies and rumors. We stand out morally, that's what it means to be a pilgrim, and morally we should abstain from rebellion, from overthrowing lawful authorities in society which is to say they would have nothing to say against us, even though they speak as, as evildoers, it's lies. It's just simply not true. We submit to the powers over us as an honorable conduct. In verse 12 we saw there were another way of saying good works, being good citizens, obedient citizens, members of society that keep our noses clean. You have to fill out all that paperwork just to leave your company early. I know one of our members has to do that so he can go to his family. Then do it. I know it's a pain, but you got to do it. Get some help or something, but you've got to persevere. God calls us to submit to the powers over us so we can stop the mouth of liars. That when they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God, a visitation. 
because we are pilgrims abstaining from sin, conducting ourselves honorably to the intent that liars we would put to shame by our good works. That's the long and short of it. Therefore, submit. That's how you put bad mouthing to rest. Not permanently, obviously. People can still lie, and they don't care about the facts. But at least, at the very least, in your conscience, you know you've done the right thing, and they're just lying about you. We're not rebels. Historically, uh, our church leaders have made a point. Uh, Calvin and others had written letters and books and the like uh, to the powers that be and King of France and whatever else saying, you know, look, we're not here to cause trouble. We're not troublemakers. We just want to have our little peace to follow God and our good conscience before him. Submit. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submit. The same word is used in Luke ten seventeen over demons. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They submit to us through thy name. That's the same word. In Luke, uh, elsewhere we read, in the 70 return, uh, so I have a repeat here in my notes, Romans, 10, uh, Romans 13, 1, you know this passage, let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there's no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. We are to submit to the powers that God has given us through his providence, whether Christian or not, to the mayor, governor, police officer, judge. Titus 2.9, exhort bondservants or slaves, that's the NKJV, I like the word slaves, that's the root word, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. They got pretty specific there. Don't back talk, we say, right? Ephesians 5.24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. We're like, this is, Pastor, this is Christian Ethics 101. I know, and yet I just listened to several hours of lectures from an abuse organization that is an organization against abuse that was recommended to our denomination, in which the leadership there was talking about submission as though it was a bad word. It's true, church leaders, and, and here in this particular context, civil leaders, would use the call to obedience as an excuse for sin. That's true. That's another matter altogether. But in general... We are called to submit, and women are called to submit, and men are even called to submit. Life of the Christian is the life of humans, frankly. Luke 2.51, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. What am I reading about there? Christ, as a young man, probably age 12 or 13. The text said 12, right? And he was subject to them. That's the same. Jesus is going to be subject, man under authority. Why do we think we're better than him? It's a general idea. The word is submit. You know the word. Be under the rule of, under the authority of. Minimally, of course, it's respect, as in the case of Paul talking to Sanhedrin. As you recall, he got smacked in the mouth. He said, if I would have known it was the high priest, the Bible tells me not to speak evil of the ruler over us. I would have been more wise in my words, Paul says. And of course, maximally, it's obedience to their commands. They tell you to do something, you obey. Again, as a general rule, I think I'm going to harp on this. I'm not going to preach on it. I've gone over it. You've heard it before. Obey unless they tell you to sin. That's obvious. Man to sin is always null and void. We teach our daughter that. teach one another that. The world wants to call that rebellion. So be it. It is not. It's following God rather than man. 529. Bosses tell us what to do at work. Do it. Parents tell us what to do at home. Tell kids what to eat, when to go to bed. They discipline us if we disobey. That's what it means to submit, to be under the power of another. And you prefer to have a boss, of course, who's understanding and gives you a lot more leeway. Sure, but you're still your boss. And you still got to do what he tells you. That hasn't changed. It just makes the yoke a little easier. And I'm all for that because it is a yoke, something that which controls you, right? The yoke, that wooden beam on the neck of the ox to help guide and direct it. No, you got to go this way. Nope, you got to go that way. 
The worst kind of bosses, often many of us know, are the micromanagers who are telling us every little step to do, like we're little kids. And sometimes we are little kids and we need those things if we're not paying attention to the boss. That's a specific idea here, of course, uh, but not just submission looks different in different moral realms or different realms of Christian living or whatever word you want to use that. Sphere sovereignty is the uh, word they use in, in uh, the neo-Kyperian approach to things, of course. Uh, but per realm is the word I would use, right? What the boss tells you, certain realm of uh, possibilities than your parents, at least in the American scene. Now, remember back during the time of Peter, when he talks about servants, although bond servants is part of that, you could have a servant who's pretty much like an employer back then. If you have a good master and the like, it gives you a lot of freedom, etc., etc. But many of them are just flat out slaves, chattel slavery. They owned you, body, the entire body, tell you exactly what to do. That's the kind of business models they had back then. Those kind of bosses are not like the bosses we have today. Uh, but the bosses today, for example, are very limited in the things they can tell you. It's a very specific realm of authority that they have. So when we talk about submitting to the powers over you, I don't mean across the board that, you know, your boss tells you to do ridiculous things, to just tell your company, your wife to, uh, not even sinful things, but just beyond their proper authority as a business owner. I think usually 99% of Americans are like, whatever, buddy. I tell them to do that. Not my job description. So it's dependent upon... The context, the moral context. Parents is a very good example of that. Children obey parents in a way an adult child does not obey parents. Why children want to be adults so soon. <laughs> I want to grow up, please. I can make my own decisions. Yeah, exactly. And the parents know that they are limited once they're out of the house and what they could tell their child to do. So the, what I'm saying is submission has a context. It's not just across the board. Whatever your parents say under any conditions, no, if you're an adult, they, they have morally, they're limited in some, some respects. Of course, if you're living in their house, they have a little more exercise and power, but still, if you're an adult, it's still somewhat limited uh, in the house situation. Uh, the other word for that is sphere sovereignty. And that is debated. I just want to bring that up, that we have debates in Christian circles exactly how much authority any given person of authority has that exercises it. But all such authority is always under God, in the absolute sense of God tells them and will judge them if they are abusing their authority and making up laws and telling them to do things that you're not supposed to do or outside of your domain that you're supposed to do. Uh, as well, of course, the sense of discipline that God will bring judgment upon them if they do that. So they're always under God and it's derived by God, although many people ignore that. Gentile leaders, of course, don't believe the authority comes from God. It comes from themselves. It comes from the people. It comes from whatever other source. Of course, that's just wrong. It comes from God. They're just simply wrong. And it's a limited uh, idea. It's obedience, more properly, it's obedience to lawful commands. To lawful commands. And Peter doesn't unpack that again because he's in the context of people apparently just not obeying the law at all, the magistrate at all. That's apparently the context, for example, in Romans, the great passage that we all know of Romans 13, uh, that you're supposed to submit to the powers that are over you. And he has to say that to the Romans because apparently they weren't submitting to the powers that are over them. <clears throat> there was a problem going on there. Uh, as long, as I said before, as long as they do not tell you to sin. They tell you to sin, you should not obey. You ought to obey God rather than men. And in God's worship, of course, if, God, if they tell you to worship God in their own way, in their own image, you tell the church leadership, I cannot, or you go to another church. So, for example here, God's law tells you to uh, protect your family from harm. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, also means thou shalt preserve life. In particular, you're supposed to preserve life of those closest to you that you have the most power and ability to protect, not strange people across the world. God's law includes protecting your family from harm. 
So what that means is Peter is not saying it's okay to give your family over to terrorists at the government say-so, at your boss's say-so, at the mayor's say-so. You say, no, that's not a lawful command. That's what I mean. Every ordinance is here. To every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Every ordinance or command. Of course, the obvious big ones, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. And even the small ones, you know, the annoying ones like limits. <laughs> I say that as one guy who does not like to be limit signs. Belts. I remember very clearly being 18, going into the Air Force, finding a beer machine, beer machines, in the dormitory. That was that year they got rid of it. You had to be 21 to have beer and go in the military and die in this war at 18, apparently. And that was about the same time that seatbelts were required. They were certainly required on base. Every military base had to have. And I learned real quick before I got into the gate, because you, you get up to the gate and you're always checking to make sure you're, you got your paperwork your card or whatever, and you had to have your belt on, your seatbelt on. I'm just going to look at the seatbelt on. So I grew up without wearing a seatbelt. I didn't think about it. I was just a teenager, right? I got my first car at 16, my Cutlass Supreme, and they had weird seatbelts anyways, right? The strap on your... didn't retract. The shoulder strap did not retract. They had to, it took too much effort. Why, why take it off, right? But I had to learn to obey the magistrate, or in this case, the power of the magistrate exercised through the military. <clears throat> Reminder, the text is even that specific. It says, to kings, to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers. So the small ones as well, the no parking sign and the like. Christ talked about the small ones, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. If a Roman soldier asks you to carry a burden, what does Christ say? Walk an extra mile. Remember that? Turn the other cheek. It's hard. <laughs> we know how hard it was in the last year, wasn't it? Didn't like it. Again, I say little ones in the sense of, Christ isn't saying, it's okay to turn your family over to death. When he says, turn the other cheek, it's not like, oh, you know, they're beating up your family. Why don't you give them the other members of your family so they can beat them up? Is that what Christ is really saying? Does anyone really think that? The closest person who thinks that are some crazy Anabaptists. And I use that word seriously. There's something wrong with people who think that way. That's not God's lawful commands. It's the smaller matters. And the other way of looking at it, of course, is you don't want a Christian magistrate who's like, always turning the other cheek, right? Mass murderers! And the judge is like, well, i got to turn the other cheek all the time. Mass murderers getting off left and right. Eh, right? No, of course not. Christ is talking about personal affronts, smaller issues that we can handle, say so. So see my Sunday School series in 2012. Every ruler, not just kings and governors, of course, police officers and mayors, these are just shorthands. That's the culture that they lived in, applicable to all civil authorities outside the home and businesses and the church as those who are sent by God himself. Second point, submit to man's laws for the Lord's sake. The reason given in verses 13 and 14, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or the governors as those sent by him. The ultimate reason for all things is for the Lord's sake. God's glory, assumed here and stated elsewhere, is the idea of the Lord's sake at the least. God's good name to maintain his honor as people are watching us is another way of looking at the Lord's sake. God's command, it is enough that God has spoken. We ought to obey. This, verse 15 tells us, is the will of God. There are lesser reasons, of course, yet there are real reasons nevertheless. Verse 14, for the punishment of evildoers. The ideal purpose, as we read in Romans as well, of the civil magistrate is to punish those who would trouble society. It's such a serious problem that it rises to the occasion of being a public crime. We know not every sin is a crime. Ideally, of course, every crime should be some kind of a sin. And some governments do it better than others. None, of course, are perfect, which is to say, at the end of the day, there's no excuse, short of serious problems and lawful commands, to not submit. It's troubling. Walking an extra mile with the extra luggage of a Roman soldier is very inconvenient. Anyways, because of the Lord's sake, 
and in this case, because the magistrate is there to punish evildoers, and we have seen it. As much as we have had complaints, and there are real complaints, any sundry and various presidents of both parties, in both parties I have seen them punish evildoers. Have there been political manipulation and political punishments? Yes. Putting all that aside, you have seen it. I have seen uh, people who are innocent be vindicated, even by parties that we disagree with. The powers that be did it. They did their job. I don't know what to tell you. It happens, even in our state. As much as we hear lots of bad news, we must remember that they are there to punish evildoers, and they still do it. Praise the Lord. Praise good doers, right? Not just punishment, but the praise of those who do good. Verse 14. And this is something we don't often think about, I think, because we don't often have lots of news about good things happening and the magistrate vindicating somebody. What you always get is bad news. Bad news sells, right? But good news is there, and there's promotion of good men to good positions. That's usually a quiet thing, and they are doing good things that way. Public medals of honors and the like. These things have happened, and that's good, and that's part of what the job of the magistrate is. Third point, submit to man's laws to silence fools. Supposed to submit to man's laws, submit to man's laws for the Lord's sake, and submit to man's laws to silence fools. Verses 15 to 16, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, highlighted in verses 11 and 12 before this, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's what the text says. It calls them foolish men. The will of God is submit to civil authorities for the Lord's sake, and that is sufficient. But he gives yet another reason, not just because they punish evil and reward the good. And in fact, as we know historically, they rewarded Christians eventually, like under Constantine. They rewarded the good of them and their obedience and doing the right thing, and they worked their way up, in some cases, to higher authority. Silence false accusations is another good reason. To silence the ignorance of foolish men. In the court of public opinion, someone stops when the truth is pointed out sometimes, and that's a good thing. In the legal courts, this happens, and that's even better. It never goes to the legal courts that you've shown that you're a good citizen, you weren't looking for trouble, you were doing your own thing, and you got in trouble for following God's will for the Lord's Day, for example, or for marriage and the things like that. That's, he doesn't get very specific about the ignorance of foolish men, where, that they are speaking. It says silence them. So obviously they're out there, as we saw in verse 12, uh, speaking of you as evildoers, Perhaps legally, as I said, and that's an excellent case. Protect yourself. You've got a good track record at the company and your neighborhood or whatever else. Socially, of course, uh, that happens in, in a public debate. Uh, but even more indirectly, like on gossip and on the news or on the social media and Facebook and the like, it's harder, harder to shut them up because no one's going to shut them up. We have free press, right? We have free speech in America. They can lie all they want. The burden proves on you to go to court prove the lie. That's how we have it set up, more or less the American system. And that becomes a little harder. So even though you're doing the right thing, as I mentioned before, they may not be silent at all. Peter's not saying they're always going to be silent. We've met people like that. We've met very upright Christians. And yet people still lie about the Christians, lie about the church. They're not silent. What's going on here? It happens. We live in a fallen world. But you don't know. And he's urging them by giving them some reasons and motivations. Look, you're probably going to put them to silent. Because at the very least, the louder ones, the crazy ones, their words will sound hollow. Just like in the news, so is social media and the gossip network. It's certain voices that stand out the most. They're the ones that stand out the most. They're the loudest. It doesn't mean everyone else is as loud as they are. Lots of people, even today, I think, are somewhat in the middle. And I've seen it. People say, I think you're blowing this out of proportion. I think you're just making this a little too crazy. Your metaphors are too crazy, like we saw recently, where they compare us to the Taliban. You know we're called fundamentalists, right? We all kind of go, they don't know what they're talking about. We're not the, we're, not the, we're reformed. They don't understand our distinctions. As far as they're concerned, Mormons and Roman Catholics and Orthodox Presbyterian churches are all the same to the media. And we're all just fundamentalists like the Taliban. That's a lie. We're not like them. We're not bloodthirsty. They mean controlling. 
We're not even that because we have no control. We're not a threat politically. And yet here we are. They're lying about us and it falls, it sounds hollow to people. And I've seen it. People are like, that's, that's, that's over the top. Why are you talking that way? Because they know their neighbors who are good Christian men and women doing good things. So it can make an effect even if you don't always see the immediate actions of silence, those who are fools. He gives one last uh, reason or more of an exhortation as a reminder at the end in verse 16. As free. Yes, you're submitting, and yet you are free. You are free in Christ Jesus morally. You are free from the power of sin. You're free from judgment of God, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Being born again, being in the kingdom of God, being bondservants of the Lord, being slaves of God is what we are, brothers and sisters. Not an excuse to use that liberty for a cloak for sin. In this case, the obvious sin is what? Disobeying the magistrate. That's what he's talking about. He says, submit to the magistrate. Submit to the ordinance. Don't drive too fast. Put the seatbelt on. Because the world is watching us, even more so in the last several years. American scene. We should give them no handle to grab and say, Aha! I got them. I knew they were little rebels for trouble. Apparently, as I said, the new converts thought following King Jesus meant they didn't have to follow Caesar. Not true at all. I mean, Jesus himself said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar. In this case, we know what that is specifically. It's obedience, short of violating God's law. 2 Peter 2.10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. And so apparently Peter was dealing with Christians who weren't getting it. Called to voice as a temptation. The gospel, in other words, is not annul submission, not annul the law. Default mode is another way of looking at it. Submission is the default condition for Christians. It's tempting to want to hear about the exceptions to this rule, and they exist, and I've talked about them, and I have a Sunday school class on them. But it's default for Christians to obey civil magistrates, even, even the annoying ones, that our witness may stand as honorable men and women. We come out publicly, as I've seen people who, who try to do that uh, in the social sphere, Christians, with all the exceptions first before the general rule, which is, yes, we are called to submit. Very clear called the black letter law of God, right here. Our witness for the world, and our witness should be honorable as men and women follow God and follow men, and there are even their ordinances and their laws, that any lies about us as troublemakers may be put to rest, and that is the Lord's will is good. We ask God for continued wisdom and uh, perseverance, Lord. Given our history and the many freedoms that we have by your blessings and providence, Lord, American scene, to do what we are called to do, to submit. Submit to lawful authorities, Lord, and lawful laws, insofar as God, they tell us not to trample the word of God, violate your law and your worship. Help us, God, to that end, to be strong in the Lord, carry the burden of the extra mile as best we can. In your name alone we pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.